This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, May 29th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The Chinese government's assertions and now new powers to make Hong Kong formally a part of China complicates the U.S. relationship with both China and Hong Kong. But what, if anything, should the U.S. do? Cato's Doug Bandau comments. There are two major steps they've taken. The first one is to directly impose a national security law from Beijing. Now, this is an extraordinary statute that will define all sorts of offenses, and it will treat basically democracy activity, protests, demonstrations as treason, as uh, separatism, these kinds of things. So suddenly, much of what people in Hong Kong have been doing based on a British set of liberties will be viewed as uh, anti-Chinese law. And second is they're going to allow their security forces, that is Chinese security forces, to operate in Hong Kong. So the presumption is that out of this, we will see essentially anyone who is an opponent of the regime could be taken to Beijing. This is very draconian. It's clear the regime decided they no longer could rely on the local legislature. And because of that, they're just directly ruling and it's going to have extraordinary impact on people in Hong Kong. All right. So this wasn't entirely unexpected. There were a lot of moves that uh, the Chinese Communist Party made in the last several weeks that seemed to indicate something was up. One of those was kicking out a whole big group of uh, journalists. Well, relations have been getting worse in a lot of ways. Part of it's COVID-related, but it goes well beyond that. I I argue that uh, Xi Jinping essentially is the new Mao. If you look at what he's doing, strengthening control of the party and himself, and really turning this into a one-man operation, and essentially moving in a totalitarian direction in terms of limits on the freedom of conscience, of any kinds of freedom of speech, clamping down on the internet, on academia, etc. So a lot's been going on. So what's happening in Hong Kong essentially is part of that. Second is a frustration in Beijing. Their view is that Hong Kong is part of China, and they've been watching as the national anthem of China is kind of spat upon. They're watching what they see as chaos and disorder. They're very angry at all the opposition to China. They see separatism, pro-independence movement. And I think they thought this was the moment to act. The COVID crisis has basically stopped the demonstrations in Hong Kong. So it's going to be much harder to rev up those demonstrations. This was a moment they thought they could strike. And also by imposing very draconian restrictions, their hope was to frighten people from protesting. And you see in Hong Kong great fear that uh, people could be dragged off retroactively. I mean, China has no sense of rule of law here. People have been rushing out to get VPNs and other things. So I think this is carefully calculated on China's part. This is nationalism, but it's also totalitarianism. They're making it very clear people in Hong Kong will live under the same restrictions as people in China. So what does this mean for the United States? Uh, You know, China can do what it wants with its territory. It was long understood that uh, Hong Kong would effectively become a part of China. However, defined, and this is certainly an unfortunate uh, way of doing so, but what, what's, the, what's the proper role for the U.S. here? Well, there is no good answer. 
I mean, there are people in Hong Kong who've been <laughs> arguing for American military intervention, which of course will not happen. It would be crazy. Uh, Jimmy Lai, who's publisher of the Apple Daily, who was arrested a, a few weeks ago for demonstrations last year. Again, it shows how calculated the Chinese were. They didn't arrest him when demonstrations were going on. Going on. They arrested him when demonstrations seemed impossible. He advocated that the U.S. do something. Well, you know, it's not clear what that is. Military action is not realistic. The U.S. has no legal basis to intervene, as you indicated. It's part of China. The uh, question is, can we? what else could we do? There's talk about sanctioning Chinese officials. Of course, this will be completely ineffective. It's not as if there aren't plenty of apparatchiks in China quite willing to cooperate and make this happen. You know, they're not going to stop this because somebody in China might fear that they can't go on vacation in America. The real issue would be, are we prepared to declare that Hong Kong is not autonomous from China anymore? Hong Kong Policy Act puts that authority in the hands of the Secretary of State. Uh, Secretary Pompeo has indicated that no reasonable person any longer could imagine that to be the case. He's absolutely right. What that means is Hong Kong is subject to the same trade restrictions and you know, security restrictions, everything, visa restrictions as China. It's likely to destroy it as a financial capital. I think it's worthwhile to use this, but it's far better to use it as a threat than to impose it. The moment you've imposed it, China has no reason not to simply go as far as they want. This is really the only sanction that we have. The other thing, of course, is it makes a lot of sense to try to bring in Europeans and Asians. If you go to China on, with the United Front, where all the industrialized countries who are major trading partners say, you've got to understand, if you do this, we cannot help but do this. You, know, you might slow them down. You might cause them to look for a face-saving out. They impose some legislation, but don't make it go into effect, something like that. It's not clear even that will stop them. I think this is raw nationalism at the top. It's going to be very hard to find any satisfactory outcome here. And of course, if we do this to Hong Kong, we hurt the people of Hong Kong the most. So it's a really a tragic outcome in that sense. So to the extent the U.S. will respond, what is the most likely response? Well, almost certainly, I think the secretary is going to move forward with the certification. Whether he makes it effective right now or waits, I think, is the critical issue. The legislation has, the draft legislation at least was passed in Beijing. It's not been finalized. It's not been implemented. There is time here to try to get the Chinese to look for some alternative. My hope is they'll use that. That's our strongest option. One could try to put other sanctions on. One could disrupt the trading relationship. There are a lot of those sorts of things, which I don't think the president wants to do. And look, let's face it, they're not likely to be effective. Sanctions are a direct challenge to a nationalistic government. They failed in every other case we see today. They haven't worked in Cuba, Venezuela, Iran, North Korea, or Russia. There's no reason to believe that a rising nationalist power in Beijing is going to say, oh, you got us, we give in. So that, that's not a very good option either. This is the one, it's not just the business done in Hong Kong, it's so much capital is raised for China through Hong Kong, public offerings. There are a lot of ways in which China uses Hong Kong still as kind of an entree point for international businesses that want the rule of law. And if they lose the rule of law, if they lose the protection of civil liberties, they're going to leave. Among other things, China will pr prosecute people for releasing economic information. Well, of course, in Hong Kong, you do that all the time. That's what economic you know, mar markets are all about. 
So this, I think, could be a devastating impact if it goes through. It is enticing to imagine treating Hong Kong differently than mainland China uh, with respect to trade, with respect to a, a bunch of different things. Uh, is is that with, even within the realm of possibility? We've always treated Hong Kong differently because it really was different. Until really about 2014, the Chinese government ruled with a very light hand. For the most part, they let everything go in terms of local elections, demonstrations, freedom of speech. It's changed over the last half dozen years. So the problem is it's much harder to legitimately treat them differently. And even until now, as long as you didn't have people being dragged off to China, you could argue it's still different, even if China's backing up the local government and the local government is not a true democracy. This legislation makes it almost impossible to act as if there's an effective difference. Local issues might still be decided in Hong Kong, but everything will be you know, decided with an understanding that Beijing rules with an iron fist. And if you oppose Beijing, you might end up in a, in a labor camp in China. Doug Bandau is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.